0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to ACB webinars. First of all, thank you to all of the participants. I really would like to thank you, our Alice, Asim, Egade, GAN, Generationes, Global Corporate Venturing, NOVA 360, ABCA, Labcan BC Academy. And obviously, a special thanks to our panelists. Today, we're going to be talking about Buy Now, Pay Later. So let me introduce you to a rainy man. He is a general partner at Propel Ventures, services and technology startups that are leveraging technology to transform financial services. Prior to Propel, Jay held several positions at visa in digital transformation, emerging projects, and e-commerce. Thank you, Jay, for joining today. Also, thank you to Matthew Ford. He's a partner at Moro Capital a BC firm backing entrepreneurs who are shaping the future of financial services. He has moved from strategic consulting to entrepreneurship to investments. But there has been a common thread running through most of the activities he has been involved in, the intersection of technology and financial services. Also, thank you, Matthew, for being today with us. Thanks for having so, me. Let's start, with it. let's start with the fire, with the fire chat. Obviously, there are different types of lending solutions in the market. And we have seen that buy now, pay later has been rapidly growing in the market, given the seamless way in which these financing providers offer the service through embedded, innovative, and digitalized ways. What do you think have been the main drivers that have caused this vertical to boom in the past years? Maybe we can start with you, Jay.
1: Sure. Uh, th- again, thanks for having us uh, this morning or this evening, depending on where everyone is. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's fairly basic. The, the I, I put it down to really three reasons that that we see some of this growth happening. First and foremost, this unfortunate COVID situation we're in. Uh, I think what we've seen with all of our portfolio companies as well as just broadly, uh, it's, it, it's accelerated e-commerce in, in sectors that we would have never expected. Um, so not only from the merchant perspective, but also from a consumer demand perspective, just looking for options so that they don't have to go into a physical store. Um, I think it's it's moved us light years ahead of what the normal process would have been. Um, secondarily, the merchants the merchants are always looking to close more customers um, and buy now pay later is, is, um, is something that offers them a much more flexible financing option, uh, more flexible than a than a card, since they have no controls really over that card, or, or in cash payments where that's where that's in some countries. Um, merchants are super uh, strict about what they put in their shopping cart. They hate to introduce friction, but buy now, pay later is uh, um, turning out to be a pretty flexible option uh, that they. Um, they've introduced and then of course the consumers uh consumers are now looking for other ways to finance especially when they don't have any what we call open to buy on their card or they just want to separate it out where they don't want it to be on what's considered to be an expensive card product um this this sort of free financing that the merchants are offering offering often it it is free financing um is a great option so and, and it's it's just going everywhere
0: Hey, Matt, what, 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 are your, what are your thoughts about the drivers?
2: Yeah, I agree with, uh, with everything Jay says, really. I mean, it's, it, although it seems a bit of an overnight success, I mean, the, the trends that you've seen have been coming over the last five plus years, though. So COVID has been the accelerant as opposed to the cause, I think, for a lot of this. So without just repeating a lot of what Jay said, I mean, the growth in e-commerce has, you know, has clearly been the backbone of a lot of that. Um, I think there's a couple of other things that, that I'd also touch on, one being, I suppose, the, the data opportunities that are also now available. So, you know, with e-commerce, a lot of the merchants themselves are collecting more data. They're able to profile customers better. And, you know, and, and for the ultimately for the buy now, pay later providers, that source of data is a new rich um, or a new rich tap, I suppose, for, for insights on on the, the the credit risk and the cash flow um, position, I suppose of, uh, of of its borrowers. So, so I think that's probably the only other thing I'd add. And I mean, there's there are it's easy to bucket every, buy now. pay later as like one global uniform phenomenon, and and that's certainly true in some cases. But it, there's nuances in every single geography as well. So. So, you know, I think particularly I I sit in in London and invest primarily in in Europe and North America. And, you know, one of the big drivers we've seen is also just a younger generation having a nervousness towards credit cards as well. And and that being another catalyst really, which is, you know, we're not taking credit cards as a younger generation in the same way as, as previous generations were, but we still have the same customer problems, which is short uh short cash flow sometimes or you know an uh, ability to want to buy something and, and maybe take it back and not to have to worry about that so uh so it's filling a gap i suppose for those who who are starting to turn away from credit cards but uh, but yeah i mean covid has been just a huge accelerant uh, unfortunately or fortunately <laughs> it depends which way you look at it
0: no <clears throat> absolutely I, I mean we completely agree with you guys obviously we have COVID, we have e-commerce we have the data that you can extract in order to really provide the lending to the, to the customers. And, and that's, that's the success of buy now, pay later. And another issue that we see is that another driver, it's kind of the, the capacity that it has to be embedded into the checkout page, making it, making it easier, more transparent and faster for anyone to buy a product online and don't even pay for it at the moment of the purchase. They they defer that payment, and additionally today, Buy Now Pay Later accounts only for two to three percent of the global e-commerce payment. So the the opportunity is huge. What is the potential to use Buy Now Pay Later outside the e-commerce checkout platforms?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I'll I'll take that uh, to start with. Uh, huge. Um, I mean, I think. A thing to, to think about with Buy Now Pay Later beyond just the fact that it is provision of credit uh, is also just, and I, I think this is one of the reasons that it's really popped in certain segments, is that it also does solve quite unique customer problems that that credit cards don't. So I, I referenced it before that, um, for instance, fashion, uh, often, you know, if, you, if you're if you buying fashion online, you don't get the chance to try on the clothes as much as you would going into a store. So, you know, the, the ability to be able to buy a lot more clothing, be it multiple sizes or multiple styles, and not have to worry that you have, I don't know, 10 like 10 times the amount in your bank account than, than ultimately what you wanted to spend. And ultimately you can return what you need and, and then settle up the difference. I think that's an amazing example, really, of how buy now pay later can actually solve a, a customer problem in a different way than just credit provision. So thinking outside of e-commerce, there's equivalent customer problems and I came across a business in Sweden, for instance, called Zeva, which is trying to solve that for, for, car, for car purchasing. So, you know, just to shed some light on it, uh, you know, if you walk into a car showroom uh, and want to buy a car and don't want to buy on traditional finance that perhaps the car showroom is pushing you, um, what do you do? Do you, on your mobile, go and send a, a £50,000 bank transfer on the spot? That's a very weird customer experience. Or do you leave the car in the showroom and then go home and, and think about it and potentially don't purchase the car. So, you know, the customer problem they solve is that you can take the car on the day and then almost have a buy now, pay later and pay within seven days. And that, again, is a really nice example. It's, it's not just credit. It's actually really thinking about the experience and the customer experience that, that's needed and starting to fit credit in and in more of like a service based way as opposed to just a financial product. So, yeah, I see huge opportunity just outside of e-commerce.
1: I don't know how many people have gone through a car purchase in the U.S., but the finance department of a car dealership is, is the place that you end up spending more time than the actual purchase, like with the, with the, the person showing you the car. It's, it's just a horrible experience. Uh, in the, you know, Just to compliment, Matt, the, um, in the U.S., we, we've had a company that, that went public called Green Sky. That was, it's a bit older company. They, boy, I wish I knew how long they've been around. Maybe it's about 10 years now. Uh, they went public in, about three years ago, um, and they started in the offline space. They they were partnering with the home improvement stores and al- allowing a uh, a buy now pay later experience, but it was initiated on a phone uh, at the checkout. So contractors that were helping with with um, their with their customers allowed them to to bring this out to the consumer, and they. Um, they did quite well. They, they, I think they had an IPO around four billion dollars in 2018. They, they, uh, something happened there. I think, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit later, just about these companies scaling. Uh, so that company, uh, Greensky, just recently got purchased by Goldman for only two billion dollars. So something along the way, and I have some suspect suspicions of what might have happened. But, um, but don't know uh, the, the full details uh, where they may have run into some hiccups.
3: No that's good and I, I do want to, to to go back to something that Matt said about how these kind of solutions are um, solving the same problem as the traditional credit but in a most more subtle uh, way in which you are not uh, per se going through a, a credit card. Uh, Purchase a normal process, but you're still having this uh, this upset of of of, of uh, different payments and have it uh, this credit. Um And we have actually seen uh, some traditional uh, banks that are entering to the buy now pay later space. I mean, is there any competitive edge um, vis-a-vis the digital native players that are that that were the first ones uh, looking and, and and playing in this in this in this market?
1: You know, I think the, the biggest competitive advantage the banks have is, of course, just their cheap co- cheap and regular cost of capital. Um, that's been the challenge with all the uh, alternative or tech lenders out there, including the buy now, pay later space. And maybe that's part of the reason that Goldman, was the buyer here, just because they do have access to cheap capital, um the, the I think the tech companies the biggest advantage i've, I've always recognized is that they're, they're of course they're digital native and they just come with a oftentimes a, a differential mission that it, and differential people that attracts talent and the, the they're always going to be better at building digital products that digital experience I, I think unfortunately larger organizations traditionally just aren't able to get that same uh, experience in, in not just the, the surface level, but also the underlying technology and bringing the whole experience together um, and iterating on that really fast. Uh, startups are really good at it. And it's just something that the, the larger incumbents, they have these, these big moats with regulation and, and capital, but they just haven't been able to still build um, the, the same level of experience or their sort of excellent experience that this, that the tech startups have had.
2: Yeah, completely, completely agree. And I suppose that the other thing which I think is a pretty interesting trend is if you look at a firm and Klarna and some of the really, really big players that are out there, they're not just providing credit in the background. Like they are building consumer brand. They are building a young, modern. I mean, Klarna has Snoop Dogg as, you know, as, it's, as, as one of the people who's advertising. They're building a really strong consumer brand. And you know, going back to one of the things I was saying before of, of younger consumers turning away from credit cards not not completely, but there's definitely that shift, um, and a suspicion towards yeah, and 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 dislike, I suppose, sometimes of, of the old of the old incumbents. Um, I think that brand aspect and and the ability to capture younger consumers with a different message, with a different style and tone, and then start to then cross sell other product beyond buy, buy Now Pay Later is also. A massive opportunity so i think you know if you're if your only fight against an incumbent is can you get the cost of funds as low as them you're probably going to lose if you can build like an amazing brand and experience and product and as joe said like the fintechs will, will always build a better product probably than the incumbents you know just given the t- talent that they can attract then um then yeah they can definitely hold advantage versus an incumbent
3: yeah absolutely and definitely also adding to the the fact that these younger generations each time uh, capture a, or have a higher purchasing power. So this also uh, helps this industry to thrive and this vertical to be each each time more exciting. I, I do agree on that. And, and just touching to the point of the business model of how these companies are generating revenue. Since, I mean, you already said that some of the times these are um, free credits, you don't have an interest rate And then the, the, provider, the provider of the, of the lending uh, is actually purchasing the, the ticket at a discount. Uh, but sometimes you do have an interest rate embedded into the, the financing. I mean, is there a playbook on which way is it more scalable or better to build a buy now, pay later product or service? Perhaps we can start with you, Jay.
1: Uh, Sure. You know, I, I I think that the technology companies are really good at selling software, um, running transactions or processing transactions, but this lending piece of actually having a balance sheet, having to go out and raise the capital in a consistent way from external investors, it does add some friction. So I, I like the models where The technology companies are more just being technology companies. They're processing something. They're acting more like a Visa or MasterCard. They're in the middle. Add merchants and and lenders on the other side and be kind of the the switch that's gonna connect these two. Uh, So take, take fees from the merchants, take fees from the consumer and the lender. Well, actually maybe not from the consumer. Consumers hate paying, but definitely from the lender and from the merchant and make them really small, just enable this to happen, put all the pieces together to enable the KYC if that's required, fraud, uh, all the chargeback systems, all that stuff if it's needed, plus just enabling the financing to happen, servicing it. But taking the balance sheet risk, um, I think just slows everything down a little bit. I I mean, I'm I'm already proven wrong that firms figured this out and others have figured it out, but I I think, Others that are just starting, they might want to try that other approach, just because it's it's a more friendly approach. And I, I think more banks should be um, should be engaging here, where they got excess capacity, they can't they can't go after the long tail of merchants um, like like a tech startup can.
2: Uh, and I suppose the thing I'd add to that is I touched on it slightly before, which is you know if you. If you have been able to build that consumer brand where you've built an engagement beyond a singular merchant. So if you can pull people into your app like, like Klana, for instance, and you know, manage multiple payments across multiple different merchants, the ability to then monetize beyond just singular transactional revenue is really huge at that point. You know, you're starting to move much more into neobank, challenger bank type territory where you've got a, a regular touch point, you've got a core engagement mechanism that you can then start to particularly with the data that you've acquired from 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 lending to those customers that you know across multiple different merchants for different products you can start to then monetize in multiple different ways but the industry is still on that journey i mean largely the industry is on a percentage of basket value at the moment which is is higher than card scheme. i mean it, it's staggering in some ways because the whole industry at the moment is pressurizing card networks, uh, you know, and card schemes to squeeze, squeeze, squeeze down. And actually, buy now, pay later has come in and said, "Well, actually, it's fine. We can charge even more than what the cards, you know, what, what it costs to accept cards, because we're able to drive basket values up, because we're able to drive repeat purchase. And actually, you know, don't worry about the single transaction. Actually, net net, it's it's a much more positive outcome. But um, but yeah, the whole industry is on that journey to some extent, which is like transactional revenue, hundred percent. Uh, as Jay said, there is lending revenue, but questionable whether it's the fintechs that should be doing the balance sheet or not. And then there is this kind of broader cross sell potential, which I think is is definitely like the cherry on top if you if you can crack that. Although everyone's pretty early on that front.
3: Yeah, I, I just want to follow up on that, Matthew. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess that's why buy solutions are not only seen as lending solutions, but also as payment solutions, and are. Within this intersection, uh, just wanted to know your thoughts. Are these gonna become the, at some point, uh, like the normal way of purchasing at, at the checkout, or at the offline or online checkout at some point in the future? <laughs>
2: Um, It depends on how you define normal Uh, because I suppose, you know, that everybody has such different financial needs and there will always be a variety of different financial products that always will. And I think I read a stat somewhere of um, usage of buy now, pay later doubled in the last, you know, in the past year, it's, it's grown massively. And a lot of that is people that were already credit card customers who were using buy now, pay later. But I think I, I saw something like, you know, two thirds of them said that, it could be a threat to a credit card, but actually only a quarter said that they would rather use that over a credit card. So there is still, you know, everybody ha- still has different preferences and it it depends on how you manage your cash flow, And it depends on the customer segment that you're in. And it depends on your attitude to credit and risk and, and those types of things. So I always think that there will be a variety of payment methods, credit being obviously one core component of it, but it, it plays into just a broader theme we've seen generally, which is this proliferation of alternative payment methods. you know, The, I pay with a credit card and it's just it's just credit is the only way that I ever want to pay. I think that is being opened up and you're seeing it with buy now, pay later, but you're also seeing open banking payments and you're seeing lots of other alternative payment methods coming in. So I think that's indicative that there are different needs that customers have, and that there won't be just a one size fits all winner that will just take the whole checkout. But,
0: Yeah, well said. yeah. And one, one, one interesting thing, obviously, it's well, one of the key elements is the origination process because typically it takes, for instance, for traditional institutions, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort in order to place lending, in, in the case of lending. And, and one key element in, in the buy not pay later model, is obviously the, the data, the data gathering is one of the key elements, one of the key assets. In order to build really a robust operation, and, and knowing that the credit profile and consumer habits can help, buy now pay later providers to make more intelligent decisions. Will we see, you know, changes in the competitive marketplace? Uh, we will see competitive players in the emerging economies coming up with. Where data gathering it's going to be a huge challenge, or how do you see all these data gathering aspect in the in the model?
1: You know, from my perspective, I, I think the some of the challenges the incumbents have, uh, if we start there, it, it's not necessarily about the data gathering. It's just, it, or it, it is, but it's because that they're still requiring physical documents, and they haven't <clears throat> they haven't built the processes to intake the the underwriting and underwriting i think is primarily very simple like what people are using in in buy now pay later versus banks there's not much difference there people talk about alternative data sources but at the end of the day people are looking for a couple of things do they have the capacity to pay the willingness to pay and sometimes there's some unique insight if you're a uh, a large retailer and you have insight that they are a regular customer and it looks like they're buying things that that um, might mean that they're going to be able to pay, but it's really hard to do that unless you really just have the basics. And so I think the tech startups have mostly just built processes that are much easier for people to give that data. They've been smarter about taking smaller pieces of data and extracting that to to remove the fraud risk or to remove like pieces of the... The KYC to bind them to the contracts. Um, uh, so I think um, um, the only other thing that's out that's different is in some countries or some regions of the world, there's really good credit bureaus and those are available and in some places they're not yet. Uh, and so the, the in those emerging markets, um, sometimes the the tech startups have figured out other ways to gather data directly from bank accounts like a broad set of bank accounts if the, if someone is banked or from if they don't have banks to look at their their income levels in different ways that i think banks just have deployed more old school ways of doing that which just is more time consuming and difficult so they it's harder for them to build a big business out of it so they just have sort of ignored it
2: yeah i i agree i don't i don't see data sources as particularly like a complete blocker for one particular region and and I think going back to one of the things I was saying before, there are nuances region by region, and positively and negatively. So, sure, there might be areas where traditional credit bureau data and 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 a lot of BN uh, by now pay later solutions don't even call a hard credit score. You know, they do just do a soft check in those markets. So, I think you know sometimes you've got a weakness from a data perspective, but but sometimes you've actually got a huge advantage. So, there's lots of markets where, well, there's many markets where actually by now pay later is a completely new it requires a behavioral change. It requires a new way of taking credit and a new way of checking out. And like behaviors are some of the hardest things to change for consumers. We're actually in some emerging markets and, and like there are actually behaviors that already exist that very closely align to buy now, pay later. So there's like layway, for instance, in, in you know, in, in Latin, which, which actually is not that different from buy now, pay later, although you don't take away the product on the day, but, you know, there's already a, a, a behavior that's similar. So, so I think there's pros and cons, and and data. It isn't a one size fits all. If there's not good data, then you can't enter. You know, I think there's there's um, many pros and cons to different regions.
0: And and yes, for instance, what's your view in terms of the big platforms? Because for what we are seeing in the market is that big platforms such as Amazon or Mercado Libre, obviously they gather a lot of information on the customer consumption. Uh, transactions, uh, frequency, and so on. And it's much more easier, or, or that's what we think, for these guys to extrapolate and offer uh, buy now, pay later solutions in their platforms. And, and another another key element that we see is that, for instance, Amazon, a couple of days ago, they closed a partnership with a firm. Uh, what does this mean for players or core businesses but buy now, pay later? And maybe potentially they have a harder time on, on 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 doing the risk profile and the underwriting. What what's your view on on these type of things?
2: I mean, Amazon sits on a wealth of information. So, of course, that's a massive advantage to be able to do some sort of buy now pay later. But, you know, if you think if you think for someone like a firm or for or, or for someone like Klarna. Um, if they're working with many, many, many different merchants, then actually weirdly they they arguably have a data advantage in in the other way, which is sure they might not have all the data that Amazon has for Amazon customers, but it's got data across many other different types of merchants. So I don't necessarily see it as you have, like Amazon has a data advantage versus the rest. I think if you've got huge scale and have got coverage across multiple different merchant types and sectors and, ticket sizes and all those types of things, If you can build a scaled enough buy now pay later provider, then, then you can also build your own data asset. It, it doesn't have to just be w- with one primary merchant.
1: I, I don't know the details of that Amazon Affirm um, deal, but I, I would guess that in order to win that deal, Affirm's pricing to Amazon and the end customers must be really good. I mean, almost r- razor thin, but I still think it was an amazing deal uh, that a, that a firm won this just like because it like I don't know if you saw the market cap of a firm after they announced that deal like it went the company like the price went up fifty percent like they just they just got another ten billion dollars worth of market cap so whatever sort of razor thin margin they made on the on the Amazon sort of transaction business uh, they just made up a massive amount just because their market cap just funded it um, so brilliant idea. Um, I, I tend to agree with with Matt on the, on the data side and, and their advantages. I I think Amazon's a, a massive scale, and so they um, I, I think merchants have bigger things to worry about with Amazon than the buy now pay later piece. I think just their general business is their their margins are are um, being attacked and businesses being um, taken from when Amazon sees something that's successful they. Sometimes create their own, uh, which is tough. They, they're a tough competitor, um, so I think the buy payer pay later piece it 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 um, it's another piece of advantage for them. Uh, but it, I don't think it means that it's uh, it's the only way the merchants
3: can can compete. Good. And now I want to talk about some of the inherent risks that these kind of solutions might. Uh, bring um, uh, to, the, to the table and basically I mean we have the the risk of uh, just uh, not paying the default risk uh, for sure but I mean it is also I mean uh, it is, it's also known that it is so easy to 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 generate, or, or to apply for any buy now pay later solution because it's just at the checkout and it's so easy to understand and so flexible and so transparent that you might not even be aware that you are entering to a buy now pay later scheme in, in a top sometimes and just uh, enter into that. I mean, are, do you are, do you look at any operative risks within the model that uh, new players or already players that are entering this this space have to be aware of?
1: You know, I I think there um there can be risks here, but uh, Darwin will will clear those those companies out that aren't that aren't appropriately measuring the risk. But I think one of the other sort of more fundamental issues with with the buy now pay later technology solutions is that when they're going out and raising capital, they got to raise capital from investors or, or lenders that are looking for a certain yield, and then the the startup has to go out and profile these customers and, and they need to be able to meet the, the expectation of that yield. Uh, and if they can't do it, they won't get any more capital. Uh, and so in order to oftentimes um, meet that yield, they they may be taking credit that's a little bit less than um, people that are that are a bit less desirable, um, but they need to be smarter at at underwriting those than a bank would um it's just precarious like if they can if they can do that well um but the big ones like they figured out and 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 this is also where i think having the banks or lending groups or installment groups guys that do buy now pay later or, or leasing like offering all sorts of different types of lenders in more like a visa model where there's multiple levels of credit. So the person that's at the prime versus subprime versus versus uh, below prime, like or at prime, like you want a lender to be matched up to each risk profile. It's hard for a tech startup to match all profiles of the customer.
2: Yeah, and we are still really early in the cycle. I mean, this is the thing about credit is, you kind of have to go through a few cycles to really understand like how it, it's it's very easy to assess credit in the good times it's it, you, you kind of learn whether a model works in the bad times and I think that is going to be one of the questions really which is have uh have the buy now pay later providers got it right I mean there's there are some worrying stats this past year given the boom I think I read somewhere that like a third of people in the US who've, who've used buy now pay later have i've missed some form of payment so i mean there are some early warning signs there and you know and I, I don't think we're fully going to know yet which is which is also uh, slightly concerning but i suppose there's this is probably a really unfair comparison but you know i also look at um alternative lenders in the past that have perhaps uh pushed alternative data sets or underwrite it you know push the boundaries on underwriting and And uh, payday loans in the UK, for instance, it's, as I say, it's a very unfair comparison, but um, was an an interesting model in its own right, because very different customer problem, very different, uh, very different product, but um, it was also actually the regulator that stepped in that, uh, that caused problems for those, for those businesses. So it wasn't just the fact that, you know, customers were defaulting because they were arguably pricing the risk correctly they were charging extortionate fees but they were pricing the risk correctly and the regulator stepped in and said actually you know you're going to cap your fees and all of a sudden that just made it almost so so hard for the payday lenders to to operate because they just couldn't handle the risk of of the type of customer so i think there are going to be questions as buy now pay pay later gets more regulated about whether there will be equivalent regulatory pressures that might put some pressure on that because as jay like completely points out that you know, the investors require a certain return, and the margins are razor thin. So if regulators start stepping in, and starting putting even more pressure then we may, we may see some challenges there. But it's an evolving story that that I think we won't find out tomorrow or the day after, you know, it's a, you see, you see this through a full cycle, it's a five to 10 year thing.
1: We have um, discussion, and I think this has happened in other countries already, where the US government's already talking about Eliminating some some consumer subsidies that have been going out for COVID subsidies, and we don't know what's going to happen once those go away. Are are people uh, relying on those to be able to make their payments? Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It, we'll we'll see this play out in the next six months.
3: Sure, and I I really like what you said, Matthew, about how we're early in the cycle because right now it seems like every other day there is a new player wanting to enter into the into the space. Um, and I want to know your I mean your view as investors now um, I mean will this uh, eventually become an overcrowded space? What should uh, VC funds, angel investors or anyone who wants to, 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 to invest in this space be aware of when evaluating companies uh, doing buy and out pay layer solutions?
2: in in some ways it's overcrowded in some ways it's only just begun um i mean you've only got to think really of the size of the prize i mean the size of the prize really for buy now pay later companies is revolving credit it's credit cards and they're taking the smallest slice you know they're still such a small proportion of that market um e-commerce is growing so I feel like the market opportunity is, is, is huge and is only growing and is you know, you're only really scratching the surface. Hence why you see such huge valuations on companies like Affirm and Klarna, because they are sat dominating at the moment, a, a potentially massive market that they're only really, really getting started in. Um, I mean, consolidation is is clearly happening. I mean, we're seeing a, a deal every other week and, and, and roll ups all over the place of, Uh, of providers trying to get global scale as quickly as possible because I I really do think scale is probably one of the biggest challenges of if you're starting a buy now pay later company now it's going to be very hard to compete if you haven't got scale if you haven't got scale of sales force going and signing up merchants scale of balance sheet ultimately and the economics that come off the back of that so so I think the the market opportunity is massive I think it's uh yeah I think it would be hard to start a new one with a generic offering, but there's still some of the stuff we were touching on earlier. There's still loads of opportunities outside of just e-commerce, checkout, buy now, pay later. I mean, there are so many other use cases where if you can create the right user journey and create the right product for that, there's tons of opportunity there.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't want to go after the the same market as a firm. Some of the big markets are well covered right now. And very well funded, massive balance sheets, just like like Matt, Matt said. Um, but I think there's other areas, other sectors of the economy that that the generic buy now pay later isn't covering, um, and certain and certainly other geographies still that are, that are really not well served.
0: But just just going back to what you mentioned, Matt, is it really buy now pay later? Uh, is it really competing versus? Cards, credit cards, or, or not really? Because, for instance, in, in Europe, the usual way to pay at the point of sale might be buy now, pay later. In the US and LATAM, we typically use credit cards at the point of sale, and obviously, it it might be changing, and it will change in the coming years. Do you see a competition between cards and buy now, pay later, or just a uh, you know what 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 are your views on that?
2: It was probably a blanket statement because it is geography by geography. But um, I mean, absolutely, they're competing against cards, but absolutely, they're competing against cash and all payment methods. Ultimately, you know, it is it is understanding the way that consumers want to pay. And and, and so I think all payment methods are theoretically a competitor to, to buy now, pay later. And you know, I think it comes into a bigger trend that I touched on earlier, which is this fragmentation of payment method, which is ultimately about the battle for the checkout. I mean uh, it's it, there's some amazing screenshots if you see on merchants at the moment of like the 15 different ways in which you can pay and sometimes they've even got like five buy now pay later companies all sat on the same checkout page it's crazy at the moment because there's so many alternatives and so many options for a lot of merchants um, so I think actually really what you're doing is you're competing for checkout you're competing for the the ability to to manage the payment for the consumer, and that inevitably competes against the cards. It competes against debit. You know, it, it isn't just a credit, um, a credit competition. Um, but I think, yeah, it was a bit of a blanket statement about credit cards. But I mean, credit cards is probably the most comparable market, and it, it is just it just dwarfs buy now pay later at the moment. So it, it does show how how much opportunity there still is out there. Yeah, do
0: we have a different view?
1: Credit cards are the incumbent. I mean, when people have them, um, and and just like Matthew was saying, I think really, I mean, there's a contingent of of people that believe in these cards and are happy with them. They have credit open, but then there's also a younger, and not just younger, but there's a set of the population that prefers to not use their credit card, even though they have it. It's perceived as expensive. They don't want to they want to use it for something else um it there's still even concerns about putting their, your credit card online like people still have that issue where they just don't want to use it because they think it's going to get stolen and having this other alternative which is perceived to be a little bit safer and cheaper uh is what's hitting so it, so it's about trying to find that that um uh, meeting that consumer demand of like what do they want want to do and so merchants are testing lots of different things right now Uh, and yeah the the people that have credit cards there's certainly some competition um that buy now pay later is replacing that in some cases but yeah definitely um case by case and country by country and merchant type and boy it's it's still tbd i think
0: and you are talking about merchants. What's better for merchants? Because some merchants, they do have retail store cards, and, and sometimes it might reduce their profitability if the customer uses a car, a credit card at the point of sale. What, what's better for merchants? Uh, having their own retail store card uh, or using. Uh, independent companies that provide by now, pay later I, options. Yeah, I think that
1: also depends on st- scale. Um, sometimes those retail cards, if the retailer is big enough and they have a big enough card portfolio, well-managed, then yes, that can be the, the best option. Um, but that's off, that's hard usually. I mean, merchants haven't been great at building those those programs. Like there's, there is some exceptions. Like in, in Mexico, Coppel, I think has done a great job um, because they've got scale. They've got like financial services is a serious business for them. Uh, they've got, uh, don't I think they have a bank too, which, which of course helps. Um, but when you're a smaller merchant, that's just not an option. And, and the cost of the, the way you can structure buy now pay later for a cost from a merchant perspective, even with you doing a promotional like sort of 0% financing for six months can almost be the equivalent of taking a car to two, two and a half percent for, for it, it's almost the same transaction cost. So I think it's almost equivalent. And in, in, in this case, the buy now pay later does offer some more flexibility to offer that 0% or, or super low financing uh, over a short amount of time where in cards, oftentimes in, in some markets, their acceptance rate because of the fear and the system of fraud is so low that they just need to get these 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 consumers through the through the process, and the buy now pay later is, is now sometimes a, an easier option.
2: Yeah, I I, I would agree. Um, size of merchant hugely important, um, but I mean, if you, if you think at the smaller end, a smaller merchant end, well, at the larger merchant end, clearly like engaging with your customers. Keeping hold of them, etc., really important. But at the smaller end, sometimes it's just about credibility. And you know, if you're actually offering a really credible um, uh, buy now pay later service as well, it, it can add, actually add credibility for a small merchant. Not not just um, you know, it's not necessarily about losing an engagement opportunity. It's actually building credibility as a small merchant. Good, terrific.
3: So we have another question from the audience here. Uh, so. Besides the obvious, uh, meaning merchant payment solutions and the funds, what satellite solutions do you think are emerging with uh, this by now failure wave?
2: I suppose it depends what you mean by satellite solutions. Um, I mean, I, I've touched on it before. I mean, Klarna has definitely um, explored the broader banking opportunity. You know, it, 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 that, so I think whether you call that satellite opportunities or not, I mean, if you have an app that you can see all the different um, uh, products that you've bought, you can see what's owed and what it isn't. You could certainly then start to think about, you know, other credit products that you could offer, potentially even debit products that you could offer. You can start to build a much broader banking banking opportunity. I mean, I've touched on that before, but it depends what you mean by satellite opportunities. Um, but I mean, you know, in the battle for the checkout, if if one of these buy now, pay later providers actually starts to then really own the checkout experience, there's a ton of opportunity there as well. It isn't just about the financing of it. It's about, you know, handling all the kind of the broader checkout um, opportunities as well of, uh, you know, more efficient refunds and all, all of those types of things. So uh, I think there's tons of opportunity.
1: Maybe the only thing to add, I, I think I touched on this a little bit before, but I think there's there's other sectors of the economy that, that still are, um not well served and health, healthcare being a, a massive one and, and there's even pieces within healthcare if you're you're at a dentist often you're having more of a serious like teeth tooth extraction or teeth replacement or if you're in you need some certain types of drugs because of some sort of treatment you're on all of these things are very expensive and sometimes there there are these kinds of um we call them merchants they're they're really not set up very well to be online they're mostly offline processes um they're really not covered well and they all sometimes have unique needs depending on insurance systems being able to to mitigate between what part goes to insurance versus what will be financed there's there's uh co- sometimes in some markets a copay versus what the insurance company should pay it's more complicated but those are sometimes large payments that are just juicy for for um, for someone to come in and take. Okay. Merchants would be happy to those doctors, dentists, they the psychologists, you name it, they'd all love to have a solution.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, we we have a question about ESG here, uh, and uh, perhaps it would be interesting to hear your thoughts on this. So. Are but the, does buy now pay layer fit into the ESG mandate? For example, you as as, as as a fund, I mean, is in the sense that this rising consumer debt is desirable, socially optimal uh, in terms of when you are doing this evaluation and, and cons- portfolio construction?
1: Boy, uh, you know, I, it hasn't been a factor in our decision making. in, when we're looking at lenders or technology players that are doing lending, uh, we haven't considered sustainable finance as as part of the the ESG mandates, Um, but it's just, it's a matter of time. Uh, I think there just, there hasn't been um, good solutions that would be looking at trying to make this more sustainable so far. We haven't seen startups that are doing that. Maybe an
3: opportunity.
2: Any, any thoughts, Matt? Um, yeah, I, it it depends on how you look at it. So, I mean, when we look at an investment, we 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 obviously consider ESG impacts uh, of uh, you know of any um, investment that we do. I mean, th- there's arguments both ways in buy now pay later. To to be completely candid, I mean, there is it de- and it depends which side of the fence you sit on. Um, I mean, in many ways, it is enabling access. To credit for people that had perhaps been historically unable to access credit, and credit is often deemed a dirty word by many people. But it, it, credit can be can be an enabler. You know, if it is buy now pay later for renovations on a home that can you know make where you live a better place and build wealth in your property and all these types of things. Like credit can be a really great enabler in life. So you know, if you are using different data sets and serving different customer types that. Perhaps are excluded and can't get a credit card, or you know, don't you know, don't want to take finance in a, in a, in a, in another way. Then, then it can be an enabler. Um, if it is irresponsible, you know, no checking of the credit file and lending to those who have cash flow problems and are just piling up debt and 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 pushing pushing customers into an even bigger problem clearly that's a that, that's a poor situation to be in. And, you know, it's, it's very hard. I, I mean, it's, it's a nuanced debate. And I think it, uh, you know, I, I don't believe yet that well, there hasn't been one giant blow up yet. Um, you know, and I, I mentioned payday lending and, um, you know, earlier in the conversation and, you know, payday lending. I remember when it first came out, there were there were some impact funds that invested in payday payday lending at the time, you know in on the on the on the premise that it was about enabling access to credit we know where that ended up in from payday lending perspective so it's a tricky one it's a difficult one um and i you know and i think there's a philosophical debate on both sides but um but ultimately it's about responsible lending and it's a it should all credit should be an enabler no you know credit should never be started or set out as as a, a slippery slope to something um and you know and and credit cards have historically Proven to be a challenge for some consumer segments, and buy now, pay later could be a more effective way of it not just being a forever revolving line, but a more kind of structured, controlling uh, way that you can control your access to credit. So, uh, it's a tricky one.
0: And and for instance, uh, obviously, by now, pay later it's a it's a new tool that it's developing, that it's growing, and 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 right now it's used especially or targeted for individuals, for consumers. Can we apply buy now, pay later as a B2B solution or it's mainly a B2C way of financing?
1: You're nothing nothing holding it back uh, to be a a B2B solution either, from my perspective.
2: Though, and we're already seeing it. I mean, we're already seeing companies pop up as B two B buy now pay later uh, solutions. Um, it makes sense for certain types of goods and certain types of businesses uh, within a broader suite of other of other uh, financing instruments out there. So, absolutely. Okay, great.
0: Thank
3: you. So let's let's start wrapping up, Jay and Matt. Uh, we want to know and hear your last thoughts on this great conversation so so what's, what's next in the space what are you excited about um, any any final thoughts that you can give us about this whole um, uh, this whole new space uh, that is growing and will definitely uh, continue to make a huge impact
2: i mean I, I, I can kick off i mean i think i think that we're at an interesting moment now as well because there's um there's kind of an evolution of buy now, pay later, and it arguably isn't buy now, pay later, but the incumbents certainly are kind of using it uh, or using the term buy now, pay later um, of uh, credit cards that also add installments onto onto the back of it or kind of post-purchase financing that, that's akin to buy now, pay later. So I think you're start, going to start to see some of that, but actually you've got lots of new challenges coming in. So in the UK, Curve, uh, which is a, a Moro uh, portfolio company, is launching CurveFlex, which is a post-purchase um, flexible solution. You've got Monzo who've, and Revoluta have also announced that they're offering that as well. So I think that's gonna be a very interesting space because for me, they solve slightly different problems. It isn't necessarily about at checkout, making it as simple as possible. It's about more kind of retrospectively, managing your cash flow and and if you see a lumpiness in your cash flow potentially spreading out certain payments but i think where those two markets start to intersect will be a really interesting one because you know the the pre-purchase and the post-purchase are definitely going to come to a head so so i think that's a really interesting space to look out for uh ju- just simply the number of solutions that are all coming out at exactly the same time and you know and and, and what that means for consumers and you know who, who will make the best job of that
1: there uh maybe just a add at the macro level, um, there's a tremendous amount of capital right now seeking yield out there. Um, institutional investors are looking for places to put adventures turning out to be a good place uh, globally uh, because there's, there's better yields coming out of there where in some places in the world, there's there's 0% interest rates or below zero. Um, because of that effect the, and, and because of some of these massive numbers that we're seeing, both in the IPOs or even acquisitions, what Square did, what PayPal has done uh, just recently, um, Goldman, you name it, like these, these billion dollar, multi-billion, tens of billion dollar numbers that are coming out you're gonna see more entrepreneurs uh, that are interested in building nuances of the space. They're always gonna be creative in finding the next place where there's customer um, uh, problems. And and that kind of customer could be still, could be the retail consumer, but it could be an SME, uh, could be, I don't know, We'll see enterprises, all different sectors. So um, I think we'll, we'll continue to see more and more innovation in the space, just because there's gonna be capital out there and people that are uh, gonna take advantage of that.
3: Great, and just final question. As far as investing in in buy now, pay later, what would be your advice?
1: Uh, I I think in all financial services, Look for a blend of people that understand, if they are a lender, look for people that understand how to do lending uh, that are in a more traditional way, but also open to uh, improving that from a technology perspective. Um, and look for some place, look for the the green space uh, where there's opportunity.
2: Yeah, I completely agree on the green space because there's plenty out there still. Um, and it's it's finding teams that, that really get the industries that they're going after as well. And, you know, I touched on it earlier that I think we mentioned cars. I mean, there's there's some amazing like user journeys that if you really are embedded in a particular industry and, and know that pain point, there's some big businesses to be built from a, um, a buy now, pay to buy later perspective. So yeah, find the green space and don't just try and build another corner.
3: Terrific. Thanks so much, uh, guys. We have reached the end of, of the webinar. Thank you, everyone, for attending. Uh, thank you to our great speakers, Jay Rainman, general partner at Propel Ventures, and Matthew Ford, partner at Moro Capital. Also, thank you to our allies, ASEM, Gavi, GAN, Generation S, Global Corporate Venturing, Innova360, Kalafka, and BC Academy. Please follow us in our social media, LinkedIn, Medium, Spotify, uh, and Twitter as ACV underscore BC. And uh, we'll see you next month on Wednesday, October 20th for another ACB webinar. Thanks so much, everyone. And have a nice rest of your day.
2: Great. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.